Welcome to the Take Control Nutrition Podcast with your host, Adam Shilladay. With each episode, we'll be aiming to cut through all the crap out there and give you some practical advice to help you finally take control of your nutrition. Welcome back to another episode of the Take Control Nutrition Podcast. My name's Adam and I'm absolutely delighted to have a lady called Lauren O'Malley on this week's episode. Um, absolutely outstanding episode. Very, very inspiring woman. Uh, physically, the shit that she has done in her life so far is is unbelievable. A true inspiration. Um coming back from serious injury when she was younger and just the, the, the mindset and the positivity that just flows through this woman is is really amazing. Um absolute privilege to, to talk to her. Um and some really interesting insight into her mindset and her training for these different um events and then a couple of wee things that are coming up uh, as well. So yeah, really enjoyed speaking to her. Hopefully, it's a bit of a long one, so stick with it. Um, but it's well worth the well worth the listen. Um, and just a reminder that uh, the Take Control Nutrition podcast is sponsored by Eat Naked Ni, the uh, meal delivery delivery specialists. Um, their app has actually now went live, so please. Get on the App Store, get on Google Play or whatever else you've you've got. Uh, download the app, Eat Naked Ni. Make sure you spell that right. And um, yeah, start experiencing some really tasty, nutrient-dense foods. Um, they're based in Northern Ireland. Uh, Kiva is a brilliant, brilliant woman. Um, and it's a really uh, great delivery service that they have, especially this time. Uh, where people are going to be probably finding it tough um, in terms of taking care of their nutrition and stuff. So really good option. Um, so check out those guys on social media at Eat Naked NI. So anyway, here is the episode. Um, any feedback on it, please just give us a shout. Um, really interested to hear what you thought of it. Enjoy, guys. So... Welcome, Lauren, to the podcast. It's great to have you on. Thank you. How are you? <laughs> all good, all good. Yeah, um, so at the time of recording, this is right in the middle of the uh, corona outbreak. So really appreciate you um, coming on and chatting to me, even when the kids are in the house. <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely. My pleasure. <laughs> so, yeah, um, whenever I first heard about you from a mutual friend, I was like, definitely have to get you on here for a chat. Um, some of the stuff that you've done is just really inspiring, actually, and um, it's stuff that I would like to do probably in the future. So, do you want to give us a wee bit of a background about what you um, do in general? Yeah. Um, so, I suppose I wouldn't be a master at any given field or sport, but yeah. um, definitely I'm into diversity. I would do a lot of just outdoor. Sports. I love mountaineering. Um, winter sport. Winter mountaineering. Ice climbing. Um, I love hill walking. Do a good bit of training up in the mountains. Just be it running or even getting out with a big pack. Um, 
and just kind of being in the outdoors. And then I do a lot of open water swimming. So I'm outside year round, um, which in this climate isn't really that pleasant. I'm not going (laughs) to lie to you. (laughs) It's definitely an acquired taste. Um, Yeah. And then um, I've done some sort of bigger running events and um, just kind of, as I said, a diverse set of things. Um, I suppose for the past few years, I kind of have tackled some of the bigger events in a diverse range um and the the most recent events have been the winter swimming events the the open water um outdoor season stuff so it's it's been challenging and cold but but rewarding (laughs) yeah but um coming from boston obviously the uh the winters are cold enough there (laughs) i would say oh yeah 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 (laughs) they definitely are but um, I didn't actually outdoor swim in Boston. I did seasonally. I never swam outdoors in the winter because I've been over here most of, actually kind of yeah. half my life at this stage. Um, and so, yeah, I, I swam competitively as a kid and I ran competitively as a kid, um, just track and field in American high school. And then um, I was like a high jumper. And um, so you've I was always competitive been outdoors. pretty athletic then? Yeah, it's sort of, I think, actually, I think more so in American schools, um, kids are really pushed into athletics and it's a good thing, you know, so um, yeah. all my entire group of friends and my siblings, we all participated in sport and it was just part of life and after school every day you trained and that's just what you did. Yeah, brilliant. Um, okay, so yeah, I've got some notes here on some of the stuff you've done, so we'll just get straight into it. Um, but we'll we'll go right back 2017 then. So, and I like I'd never heard of this, but I googled it, and holy shit, it was um it was an interesting interesting read. 2017 marathon. So, <laughs> how do you pronounce this? The Sablas. The marathon de Sabla. Yeah. So in it's, Morocco, it's the marathon so, yeah. of the sand, basically, is what marathon it is translates to okay, in English. Yeah, yeah. So tell yeah, um, tell me tell everybody about that. Yeah, it's a beast. Um, it's it's not for the faint-hearted. Um, it was I guess it was like one of those things that I had heard about. It was a bit of an urban legend thing. I had heard about a guy who had done it, and then um, we ended up being placed together in an office and working together for a little while. And I just started picking his brains about it because he was like mythical. People had said like, God, this guy's done this crazy race. It's all these marathons across the Sahara desert and temperatures go to like 50 degrees and you have to carry all your own gear and it's just mental. And um, when I ended up based with him, I just had this like fascination. So I was like, you tell me how this happens and how you train and how you make this work. And he just said like, the secret is obsession. You have to like this has to become your like focal tunnel vision. You've got to make this like your breakfast, lunch and dinner every day. And if you really want it, like anybody can do it. You just got to train like hell and you've got to kind of become consumed. So I just had it like in the back of my head, but I had young kids and I was going, God, like it's not really, it's not even really a woman's race to be honest. I mean, it's like, it's over 80% male every given year. And Um, and that that particular year there was only, 14% 14% was it was actually women yeah something like that women and I mean I guess like you know so you have a race with 12 1300 competitors um that mm-hmm. year say and you've got like 200 of them are women and yeah. um it I think a lot of that is down to the training that's required because women are definitely have proven like across the fields that they're really good at endurance sports and in fact with endurance running women tend to be top of the game but yeah. it's really difficult to get the time required to train when you have kids and, you know, work commitments yeah. and stuff. And I do think it's easier for men in that way, but 
Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So the, the way I ended up doing the race was a bit kind of strange too. Like I just sort of, I had been obsessed with it for a while and then I started looking into it and it's a big money race as well. And I was going, God, I don't even know if I can afford to do this. Um, and when I looked at it, the availability was limited. Um, and it was like, you know, registration was like maybe one or two years in advance. And wow. so I put my name on a waiting list and in October, right before registration shut on the 31st of October, that day I got a phone call and they allocate places by country and that there was still space left. Somebody had dropped out from Ireland and there was a space that I could take, but it would only allow me um, until April. So between October and April to get ready for six marathons back to back. And I was like, friggin' I'm just going to take it because I wasn't injured and I was healthy. And I thought, right, this is a once in a lifetime and I'll just go and so, so uh, quick yeah. question for you, right? <laughs> H- had you actually done a marathon up until that point? Uh, have no. you done marathons? So you, okay. So you, what, what's like the longest race you've done before that? Oh, up to that point, I had probably gone out and done like, I mean, I could do 10Ks kind of with my eyes shut, you know, six, seven, maybe, maybe I'd run like an eight or nine mile training session. Okay. I had never run marathon distance. <laughs> um, but I, but I have a confidence so like, thing where I thought, <laughs> okay, bro, I'm yeah. going to do this. Yeah, yeah. And if you're going to do it, you're going to just tunnel vision. So that's exactly okay. what I did. And in fact, I was lucky because I'm from a family of marathon runners. So my yeah. dad, my uncles, my brothers. So I just, I kind of, they actually helped me, to help stop me from getting injured. Because like straight away then, the minute I got the registration place, I was like going to go out and do a marathon. And they were like, no, you can't do it like that. Like you're going to end up injured. I'm sure you'll yeah. finish it, but like, then you're going to, you're going to mess things up from the start. Walk. Yeah. 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 Try, try and take this like one place at a time. So I just started like a super intense training regime and it was pretty well structured as again, my brother like does marathon running and he does a lot of like, um, he's in a running club and so he has a lot of structured plans so he just put me together a plan and like I stuck with it kind of uh, religiously and okay. I mean there's no rest for the wicked here like you have taken on a beast of a race and you just got to train so it was six days a week one rest day a week um basically for the full six months so six per week yeah okay one rest it's day <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, like, I'm just trying to understand out of my head. Yeah. It's but hard like, to understand it. I mean, what I yeah. basically essentially built up to was um I had a three to four week taper in advance of the race where you were really yeah. cutting down on the running to give yourself like all the joints a bit of rest before you take it on and just yeah. to give your body time to recover. Um and also to avoid injury in like that crucial stage before the race. But um basically then so kind of go back eight weeks nearly before the race. And I had, I did sort of five or six weeks in a row where I did a marathon every week. So like, mm-hmm. I'm just get up on a Saturday and go run 26 miles. Okay. Um, and then go about my normal day, like, you know, take the kids, go grocery shopping. I mean, there was no glory in it. You didn't get to like, it wasn't like, wow, no you ran the marathon. Line. It was, yeah, no, I mean, there was no like, you know, finish lines, no medals. It was literally just, you had to be so structured that I would get up, um, go run 26 miles, either get somebody to pick me up if I ran somewhere out or do a 13 mile loop and come back on myself and finish the 26 at the house. And then, like, as I said, maybe go on a picnic with the kids or just like live your normal day. And that became normal. Um, and then even to get ready, cause one stage of the race is a double. So you basically run six marathons in five stages, meaning that for me, my fourth day in the desert was two marathons in the same day back to back. And 
most people will run their second marathon through the night. So I had to get my body and my mind ready for doing that. So to do that, I trained from my house here and I ran like 34 miles. So an ultra marathon alone in the middle of the winter through the night with a head torch and a backpack. Um, and then just got picked up and took the kids rock climbing that morning. I ran to the Mourn Mountains. I got picked up like in a wet heap at the side of the road when I got to my 34 mile mark, right by Sleeve Donard. And then I spent the day in Tullymore with the kids rock climbing, just like no sleep. Just smiling, having a laugh, no problem. <laughs> yeah, well, pretending, sore, oh, yeah. wet, tired. But you know, that's the kind of stuff that you have to do to get ready for this is because you know you're going to suffer. So, you know, knowing so that you got to push forward like, and did get ready you, to suffer. Like, how did you start to prepare uh, mentally? Because, I mean, most people would, would really struggle to even understand how to, uh, you know, get themselves into that position where they'll go, I'm just going to do a marathon today. You know, you just went all in. So my struggle is usually physical. It's not mental. If okay. I could put my brain in somebody else's body, I think we have some type of legendary athlete. The problem is my body yes, is like Brandon. broken. <laughs> and my brain keeps saying, go, go, go. <laughs> yeah. So I, the mental side of it, I'm good. I just, once I decide something, I become like obsessive. And I will okay. openly admit that I really can take on, I never feel like I can, that I'm biting off more than I can chew. I just totally take it on and believe. And I'm like a, such a firm believer in positivity. And I would do a lot of stuff like with this group called the Positive Living Network. So okay. they have them throughout Ireland. I'm sure you can find, there's definitely one in Belfast. There's one that I go to down in Neary. And they meet like once a month. And it's just like like-minded people. They have a guest speaker. It's always different su subjects and topics. Um, yeah. It's not all relevant to sport it's a lot of it's just relevant to life um yeah. basically like understanding that anything is possible and all those kind of things just reaffirm to me that like if you really focus you obviously have to put the training in as well but if you believe yeah. and you put your effort in mentally mm -hmm. that the body will follow so i knew that for me I have a lot of physical injuries. When I was 19, I had been hit by a drunk driver. I was like walking home from a bar in Boston and I was wow. run over. So I broke what, what sort both of, my what legs. Sort of injuries? From, both legs? Uh, yeah, both legs. I was in a wheelchair um, in a rehab hospital. I had horrendous like facial and head injuries. And then both legs were broken from the hips down. So I broke both my kneecaps, my tibias, my fibias, my tibial plateau. Uh, it was not good. I have metal rods and pins. How, and long, how long was of... the recovery from that? Well, I didn't let the recovery be as long as it should have been, which was a bit stupid. Um, but I was young and just thought, like, once I was better, I was better. Um, it took about a year and a half to really get back on track. But I didn't really allow myself the right amount of time. I think I pushed it too soon. And I have, I definitely have, you know, permanent damage from it. But, like, oh, I've been very fortunate that... <laughs> No, I mean, and I've been very fortunate that I've been able to still do the things I like to do, but it definitely has taken a toll, you know. Okay. Um, yeah. So for me, I think, like, mentally, I am able to just visualize. And that was a big thing for me with the Marathon de Sable. So people would say, like, oh, if you finish. And I was like, no, 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 when? When yeah, I finish. And I always had this, like, vision in my head about, like, what the finish line would look like and... Um, I just think that was like a really important thing for me from the outset was visualizing how 
I wanted the race to go. Mm -hmm. Obviously accepting that things won't always go to plan, but I think having that image in your head is really useful. Just knowing kind of that you're capable and, and making yourself push yourself forward. And I suppose, okay, you've done a certain amount of training, but you wouldn't obviously have done anything like the race itself, you know, back to back, back to back. So like, just no. try to give me some idea of like, you know, after a couple of days, what, what was the, the mind frame? What was the mood like? Yeah. Well, so I, I suppose to give you background before Marathon de Stabla, I had never done back-to-back -back marathons or anything, but I was a like, base camp manager for the Irish K2 expedition in Pakistan. So I had right. done prolonged period of time out um, in the middle of absolute nowhere. There was like over 80 miles on foot carrying a backpack. I was actually the only woman on the expedition. We were out there for like a month in Pakistan in the absolute middle of nowhere and the Karakarams. Um, and so that was pretty intense. And that, that was good preparation for me because um, it was camp living. So there's no running yeah. water, no, you know, sleeping on the ground. You're out there for a month. I mean, it's middle of nowhere in Pakistan. So it was pretty tight conditions. Um, okay. You get sick, it's tough luck. You know, you get injured, it's tough luck. So Marathon de Sable is a bit like that too. Um, although thankfully, you know, a bit more structured and you've got medical care on site and stuff. But I think for me, like that kind of suffering was good. Being cold, being wet, not getting dry, staying in a tent for so long. Um, I, I think obviously for me, that kind of gave me the understanding that I was capable of pushing through a bit of pain. Yeah. And then I went into MDS, um, trained really to the maximum and felt I had done a good job training. And I ran the first two marathons, like, sort of and it's a run walk adam like there's no point in saying there's not one person not even the winner runs every stage of it because yeah, yeah. you're carrying a backpack with all the supplies that you need for the entire time that you're out there so your backpack that's all your food plus your ration of water for the day plus your sleeping bag plus everything so like it's not humanly possible to run all stages of it and some of the yeah. stages are mountainous uh -huh. um some of them are so steep that they actually have ropes that you use to like pull yourself up so wow. it's pretty crazy like yeah but i think for me because i was trained physically so well at that stage i felt really confident so the first uh -huh. two stages i was like oh, this isn't that bad i'm good like i feel great and yeah. then stage three hit me like a freight train um it hit 50 degrees oh on the, the midday section of the race and there was yeah. absolutely no shelter and I just felt like I was dying. Like I felt like like inside my body was starting to cook. Oh. And I remember thinking that I had like possibly been a bit delusional. <laughs> and that oh, I was maybe in stuff? too deep. Yeah, yeah, I just started thinking like I was getting real, really dehydrated. Yeah. I had miscalculated my salt tablets for the day. I had taken too many too soon. Then I ran out of salt tablets. And then I just felt horrendous. So I crossed the finish line that day and I was scared. I mean, there's like no two ways about it. And I was sick. So I got in my sleeping shelter. I was in with a couple guys I had never met. They just, we we're all just kind of slow, slowly coming around in the sleeping shelter. And one of them noticed that I was like shaken, shivering. And thankfully he made me eat and drink because I just wanted to go to bed. And I think obviously that's what saved me. Like the fact that he, yeah. he kind of said like, look, I know you're sick. You've got sunstroke. You're going to have to eat and drink. And then I just, I sat that night and knowing that the next day was the two marathons back to back definitely scared me. 
But I realized, look, like it didn't kill me. I had recovered in the night and I had a different plan then for the following day. And I, I tried then to get as much um, of the daytime stuff done early. And then I braked for a little while before I tackled the, the second marathon then through the night. So that whole crazy night run that I had done here before we left, yeah. it really worked for me because it meant then I, I did... And that night was great. Like I felt brilliant. I was able to run. I was able to get moving. But, you know, I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. It was definitely not all sunshine and unicorns. It but the, like... the, the, the big thing is, that, you know, most people, well, I suppose most people wouldn't have been signed up for the race in the first place, but most people would be sitting in that tent, you know, realizing they've got sunstroke. They're, you know, feeling sick dehydrated and they go nah that's probably i've i've given it give it a, a go that's me done but you're like so like what, what, yeah. what about what what about your nutrition and stuff like how, how did you i mean obviously uh you know calorie dense foods are going to be your friends here high in fat and stuff but what like what did you go for so i guess i'm a believer in real food and by that okay. i mean i don't really supplement so i know a okay. lot of athletes particularly like in endurance events they rely on gels and stuff mm -hmm. i did use gels during my training um mm -hmm. just for ease because you know then you're coming back to real food obviously with marathon sabla or like the likes of expeditions where you don't have real food to come back to mm -hmm. um I, I try not to use gels i try to stick to food i can eat and okay. i um i'm a big believer when you're suffering in comfort so like food is comfort yeah. and food for me on an endurance event is a reward so like there's a whole different mindset when you've got like 15 miles to go and you can say to yourself right if i cover three more miles i get to have two more handfuls of that to eat versus a gel you know what i mean there's yeah, a real psychological yeah. side to jelly beans that, yeah. and pretzels yeah. and so I, um, one of the big things for Marathon de Sabla is um, people tell you you lose your appetite. Oh, mm -hmm. and you know, you won't be able to eat. So you'll take way too much food. You'll end up with extra food. That was a fatal flaw for me was listening to other people. And like, I've learned through the years, because now I'm over 40, <laughs> yeah. to be more confident in myself and to yeah. know and understand my own body. And like, I definitely have learned a lot by doing that. And my mistake in Marathon de Sablo was listening to one of the race organizers. He'd been doing, this is, it was the 32nd year of the race. This guy had been involved for like 20 years. And he said to me, oh my God, your pack, it's too big. You've got too much food. And he, this was the day before the race started. He said, oh, you can ditch some of your food now. The race is crazy. Like it's, there's no point in going through all the rules, but basically once yeah. it starts, you can't ditch anything. You, the yeah, day you that you stuff leave, out on the course. You can't dump anything on the course. Yeah, you got to keep you. all your stuff with you and you can be penalized if you do. So I, I got rid of food before the race started and then wished that I hadn't. And I was yeah. extremely hungry throughout. There's no point in denying that. I never lost my appetite. I ate like a champion. Mm -hmm. um, my average day was crazy. Like if you're supposed to consume, you know, two and a half thousand calories a day or whatever it is. I mean, yeah. I was quadrupling that because yeah, yeah. you were just starving. Um, mm -hmm. I did like, I brought a, a small stove to cook, um, real quick, easy things. You need salt. So super noodles or like such treat. I love super noodles. Yeah. Um, oatmeal for breakfast. Um, I always have in my pockets on endurance events, pretzel chunks, like the okay. hard American Snyder's pretzel chunks are really high in fat, like yeah. exceptionally high in fat. Yeah. Um, 
they're great carbohydrates for me and they're because of the salt again they're like so easily palated when you're when you're kind of sweating and dehydrated um and then jelly beans and jelly babies um haribos you know stuff like that just quick and easy snack stuff i would use a lot of like mountaineering food um so it's kind of like astronaut food it comes in those dry packs um it's great again really high in sodium so like not great if you're not in that kind of environment but definitely when you're doing that kind of like oh yeah if you're and i mean there's no way to describe how much you sweat like obviously and the, the thing that's a little bit scary about it is that you're almost you're almost instantly dry again, so you don't realize how much you've sweated, yeah. because the desert is so dry that your sweat is just like it's not like when you're in a humid climate and the sweat sticks to you and you're stuck and you can feel the sweat on yourself. When you're out there, the sweat is like it's just evaporates; it becomes salt almost instantly. Yeah, you like so you have the to be very on, on careful. Your skin, do you? Yeah, you yeah. can literally wipe it off yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. kind of gross. But that, yeah. That's that, that's definitely one thing that I've heard um, before. Just even listening to um, endurance athletes talk about, you know, they never feel hungry. And whenever we went through um, doing a nutrition degree, like it was one thing that we were always sort of ta- uh, told that, you know, hunger. Um, isn't an indicator of the uh, energy that you still require because oh, you, yeah. it, it's diminished because of the endurance um, effects of the, the run you're doing. So I think, yeah, he, you know, his, his advice was obviously, you know, wasn't the, the best. It, but- I mean, based probably on so many too, like a lot of people just can't eat when they're under pressure, but I, I'm one of the, I'm not one of those people. I eat all the time. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm lucky that way in a sense that I am always hungry, yeah. but I mean, I, I think for me, that's that's been a big thing like learning and understanding that we're all different and that no advice is universal and like that's been something i've definitely picked up again like even with the long distance swimming Mm -hmm. so like it's crazy in a different way so you're maybe out um you know marathon to sabla you're training and you're out running and what i would do for my training sessions for the for the marathon running was i would stash capri suns you guys call them Capri Suns, but I'm American. Oh, yeah, Capri, Capri yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I would stash those on my route, um, and then I would run with stuff in my pockets, like pretzels and stuff. So I would know and, and be able to stop and grab a Capri Sun that I've, like, stashed at the side of the road. Um, and that worked, like, little sugar boost and all the rest of it. But when you're doing marathon swim training, so you're, like, maybe swimming in the ocean um, yeah. from, like, Carlingford to Omeath or something. Well- there's no way to stash food your body needs calories so you've got to really really figure in advance of how your body in advance of an event as to how your body's going to cope so like you 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 do do a lot of your um testing in the in the training side of things yet so that yeah big time yeah i think like training is so essential but see see, figuring out your nutrition yeah but see like um you know, hearing somebody who has done so much endurance before, you know, you you talking about you have to listen to your own body and 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 you know experience different things to make sure that you get the right way. Like that's quite refreshing, you know, because people tend to gravitate towards um, like one particular line of thinking instead of you know being able to use lots of different methods and understand how you react oh, yeah. to different situations and stuff. So you know, that's yeah, brilliant. and I mean, I did. 
Um, so like I integrated, I listened to podcasts, I watched video clips on YouTube, I read books about Marathon to Savile, I did all that. And I took advice from what other people had done. So I used recovery shakes, okay. um, which I hadn't done before. Um, it definitely helped. It meant that when I got back to camp, before I had time to even cook, I could get food and calories into me quickly. Yeah. Um, I did take nighttime recovery tablets, like pills that I had got, um, just that were like, you know, to allow muscle recovery and, and recovery, kind of yeah. health. Um, and so that, that was good. Calm plan. Um, it's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. just shakes. Yeah. Um, it was actually, that was a recommendation I got from a guy who had done cycle America. Okay. He said like literally horse it into you, even if you yeah. don't want it, force it into yourself. And he said, the difference is unreal because it's like a meal in a packet. And yeah. I mean, stuff like that was like unbelievable life-saving advice, you know, because yeah. it makes such a difference. Um, and again, like that stuff all translates into other stuff, you know, so in climbing, um, from then I've, I've taken comp plans and just shoved them in a bag and used them. And like, again, with the marathon sweat, like long distance swim stuff, you're getting out and you know, you're knowing that you can't have anything stashed. So you're going to have to have consumed your calories before you get in the water. And yeah. that kind of stuff does make a difference. Um, I definitely am not against gels or anything. I think there's a place for them and they help, but I think in endurance, particularly, there's a psychological um, benefit to real food because, I mean, I don't know, unless somebody really loves gels, they're not something you look forward to, <laughs> whereas yeah. you could look forward to a bag of pretzels or some Pringles or like crunched up. Yeah. I would like make my own kind of trail mix pack where I'd put like dry roasted peanuts, cashew nuts, pretzel yeah. chunks, crunch up Pringles, you know, all that kind of stuff into a bag um, mm -hmm. and just have it, you grab handfuls. And that, yeah. that is something you look forward to. No, I think you're, I think you're spot on there. I think sometimes though, um, like definitely, uh, you know, we, we did a, on a very, very, very small comparison. Like we, um, myself and a friend did the Moor Mountain Marathon last year in September. Oh yeah, and, it's like, great. That, that's, yeah, 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 it was really enjoyable. It was the first like um, thing that I'd ever done like that. But, you know, obviously it's nothing like what you had done, but it was more, I really enjoyed um, like the likes of the trail mix and stuff like that over um, and I, I've used gels before with, with running or triathlon before and you, it's definitely not the same at all you know why yeah it's just psychological like probably you yeah, know exactly yeah yeah definitely so yeah I would I would definitely uh, echo that so right um, let's move on to the swimming okay we probably still talk about the marathon for or, for a long time but Swimming side of things, okay, um, and then we'll maybe jump back in. But so after 2017, you did an open water race in Cork. Is that right? It was two and a half miles. Yeah, I went down actually. So I met a girl. Um, she was in the tent next to mine. She's from Cork, and she, that was during the marathon to Sabla. I met her, and um, she's a swimmer, and I had a background in swimming. So she said, "Why don't you come down in October?" Um, we met in the April and we'll do the Spanish Island swim together. So I hadn't been open water swimming in a long time, but um, I did do open water racing here. Um, I suppose just again, like with the kids and stuff, I would have dipped in, dipped out. Um, but I said, yeah, sure. We'll give it a go. So I uh, went down and did that race with her in Cork. And that kind of got me back on track with the swimming, which mm -hmm. was good. Cause to be honest, after the marathon, my knees both needed a rest. Okay. Um, <laughs> So then I stuck with the swimming and then bizarrely this then leads to like something else. But 
I had always wanted for my 40th birthday to go climb Kilimanjaro. And yeah, okay, yeah. I ended up taking one of my sons, uh, my older son, and we went away to climb Kilimanjaro. But one of the two other people ended up coming along with us, just two friends of mine that live locally to me here in Nuri. And one of those guys um, is an amazing swimmer. So he swum the North Channel. He swum the English Channel, soloed. He's done all these crazy, crazy swims. Um, and he has a Channel Cross company. So he, he does, um, he has an indoor swimming pool. He does the swim training. And then you can book to swim the North Channel with him um, or the Dalreada Straits or any of these kind of crazy big, big swims. So for people that are into swimming, like North Channel is a beast. It's uh, listed as one of the hardest, if not yeah. the hardest in the world. Um, it's equivalent distance-wise to English Channel, but it's absolutely freezing in comparison. It's got really tight tides and it's jellyfish and all the stuff. So when we were away after that swim I did then in Cork, when we went away then to Kilimanjaro and we were climbing, he kind of got me thinking about the swimming more. and. And then, yeah, then I <laughs> like couldn't resist. So then I, I decided um, after our trip climbing Kilimanjaro to give an ice swim a go because he had said to me, look, you know, I, I've done the ice. He had done the ice mile, which, again, for outdoor swimmers is this like pinnacle thing. It's a pretty big beast of a thing to do. It's so where, where, swimming. Where is that? Well, you can do it anywhere. You can do oh, it so anywhere in the world. Temperature? the water temperature has to fall below five degrees. So a swimming pool is kept at about 30. Um, and you know, the human body's own temperature. Yeah. <laughs> so imagine how physically painful it is. Like your water tap in your house would never run that cold. You know, it's not five degrees is freezing. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's standing in a cold shower is a lot more pleasant than swimming the ice mile, trust me. So yeah, the water temperature has to go below five degrees for you to um, go. But I mean, it's, it's a lot more technical than that. You also have to have an international ice swim official. You have to have a medic. You have to have passed a medical. You have to have had a heart scan, um, you know, an EKG or ECG. So there's like a lot of rules and technicalities because it's dangerous. I mean, it's definitely dangerous. Yeah. Um, so, so, so what? So that, that was that's after. Well, we'll talk about Kilimanjaro in a minute. But that was what twenty eighteen was it? Twenty nineteen. Um. So that first attempt that I had then, yeah, was well, it was twenty nineteen. Um, because it was January. So okay. I I went away with Podrick, my friend, and um, in the October to climb Kilimanjaro, October of eighteen, and then by January of nineteen. So just a few months later, I had it in my head that I wanted the ice mile and I was going to get it. So I, I got in training right away from when we got home. So in November, December time, where everybody else was like, are you insane? That's when I started outdoor swimming. So like, you know, December, just like rocking up at the lake locally or the sea. No wetsuits. You're not allowed any type of protection well, bar a single rubber so cap. It, 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 okay, so it has to be no wetsuit. The ice mile. Yeah, yeah. I can't, no wetsuit, no booties, no gloves, no nothing. Just one pair of goggles and a single cap um, and yourself. So it's miserable. I mean, the first few times you get in, you maybe last three, four minutes, and then you just got to build on that. And then you learn psychologically to kind of shut off the pain and 
then on top of just being in the water, you've got to be able to swim the mile. So yeah. um, you got to train, you got to still push yourself. So I was training in the pool for my speed and then in the outdoors, I would pull up after work, put my car lights on mm-hmm. and then leave the car running and go and get in the water and like just freeze and Not- swim and freeze and swim. <laughs> get back in, full blown hypothermia at least sort of five, six times a week, shakes, you know, brutal stuff. And I was raging because in January I went for it. Conditions were ideal. We took a boat out. I had everybody. I had my medic, my, I had my whole team. And I was out there and I was in for, for way too long. I had slowed down tremendously. I had really bad hypothermia and um, I didn't get it. I got 200 meters from the mile and I, I just had to, pull it i mean i i thought i was gonna die like legitimately thought i was gonna die i well, inhaled so legitimate, water and, like, legitimate um you know issue there like yeah so oh yeah oh yeah it was like no meters. joke and yeah. 200 meters from the mile but i had i accepted the ice kilometer because i mean the, the i two, it could have been it could have been two meters and Amazing, i couldn't have yeah. swum it i was gonna, i was literally my whole body shut down and in recovery i went like i completely blacked out and you have like a team that helps you recover. I mean, you're, you're like, my legs turn black, my feet turn black. Um, I'd like wow. really horrendous, horrendous, like shaking and you're in and out of consciousness. It's not good. <laughs> so okay. I just decided, right. Okay. That was possibly a, a little bit more than I can chew, okay. but I kind of couldn't get it out of my head and the ice kilometer wasn't enough because I knew that I was capable if I yeah. had trained differently. Uh-huh. So I stayed outside. I kept training even after that disaster. And then I had my ice kilometer thing. So I thought, right, well, like I could definitely go for the ice mile, but if I stay with the training, now I'm going to have to really push it. And I guess because I was outside so much at that stage, then the suggestion came to me to try out for a spot on a North Channel relay. Okay. So that then led to me going for a qualifying event in the May um, where you swim eight kilometers um, without a wetsuit in the sea um, to try and get a spot on a North Channel Relay. And so that that worked out. And then in July, I swam with a team called the Global Tridents. So there were some local swimmers. And then we mm-hmm. had um, we have a Welsh guy who lives locally, um, an Ironman triathlete who lives in Belfast. He lives locally too. Um, an amazing swimmer from Carlingford. Um, and then we had, um, another swimmer from Lurgan. He's an amazing guy too. He's done, um, Ironman and all the rest. And then we had an American swimmer, another American swimmer who flew over for the event. So there were six of us and we made up the team, the Global Tridents. And we swam then from Donegadee to Port Patrick in Scotland in July. Okay. And like in a relay, obviously. In a relay. So... It's a funny thing, like, I mean, there's such buildup to that. Like, God, there's a lot of open water training. And then because of the hypothermia that, <laughs> that I had already had so many times, you, you have to train for really cold conditions because that North Channel never heats up. It's not like the English Channel. So yeah. you're, you're swimming to prepare to be cold, basically. So I guess the, the Ice Miles failure had set me up really well for training for North Channel. So I just stayed. I just stayed outside. Then I didn't go back to the pool at all last season. I stayed outdoors, and um, and yeah, I mean it was amazing. It was so much fun. It was a great event. 
Um, there were two other boats in the water the same day, one with a solo crossing and another with a relay. The atmosphere on the channel was great. Yeah, and it's right. like something else. I mean, you're, it's no matter how hard you've trained, nothing prepares you mentally for standing on the back of the boat and looking into the abyss. Like the middle of the North Channel is black water. It's dark, cold, and you got to jump. And again, <laughs> just, no wetsuits. Just go straight in. Go. <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, so like while you're out there, there's these um, humongous lion's manes, jellyfish coming past you. And if they sting you, they're poisonous. And then there's like, we saw orca whales and like- uh, Orca whale? Yeah. Yeah. Unreal. Except very unnerving when there. you're the next swimmer in, you know, like an orca whale is nice to see at SeaWorld. <laughs> yeah. like when you know you're going to get in the water. When you're two feet from so, them, maybe not. Yeah. yeah I so know. Let, me, let, let me just, let me just go right. So, so basically you didn't get the ice mile, you got the ice kilometer and that then led to just what sounds like just taking your training to a whole different level. And, yeah. And that it, was, that led to like this, a crazy, crazy. Wow. Yeah, okay. It, so it, there was this weird period of time where I was like leaving work almost in tears at the thought of having to get in that water. Cause like January, February, March, April, May, really open water here is freezing. Mm -hmm. And just knowing that you're like going to be pulled up at the side of the road, jumping in somewhere, you know, sometimes like, I mean, really bizarre bodies of water, but getting in wherever you could. And, you know, I went away with friends down to um, cottages in Cavan. Yeah. And like everybody else was drinking wine in February in front of an open fire. And I had to find like open water to jump into to swim. They were like, oh. you're, you're so well, weird. I hope you still got the wine but, afterwards. You know, yeah, I did have the wine afterwards. <laughs> you know, you've got to be dedicated. Like that yeah. kind of stuff you can't mess around with. It's, yeah. you know... If you're in for a big event like that, you got to train, you got to be ready, especially a team event. Like, God, you know, who wants to be the person that lets the team down? And yeah, channel exactly. relays are really strict. So there's no, there's no, once your team's submitted and once you're there and you're on the boat, there's no supplementing. So like, if I won't get back in or I'm injured, the whole team's out. Everybody, nobody finishes. Wow, um, okay. So Pressure. it's, yeah, it's a big commitment and it's a big financial commitment because people mm -hmm. have flown from other countries and you're, you know, you've trained together, you've done these events. So it was awesome. And it was a really great day. You're out there for 12 hours together competing. And um, I just was very, very lucky that I got um, the final spot. So it meant I swam in the middle of the channel, which was freezing. It's over the yeah. trench, but that meant that I got the final spot. So I was the one that got to hit Scotland. Which the, was glory, awesome. the, the glory, the glory. I got the glory spot. <laughs> yeah, I was very, very lucky. And like the whole team were unreal. Like, you know, we just had such a good day and, and we've all stayed in touch and we've done quite a few events since. And we were down in Cork a couple of weeks ago to get our awards. And Brilliant. yeah, so it's been good. Unbelievable. Okay. So, I mean, is there any, well, we'll, we'll chat about that later on. And so um, let's then go back. So what happened after you'd finished that? What did that lead you on to? So then I finished the North Channel in July yeah. mm -hmm. and I gave myself August off of the water because I was away to Thailand. And then when I came back in August, I was like, I'm going to do this one more time. And if I don't get it this time, I'll, I'll give it up. But I'm going to go for the ice mile again. So in August, when I came back from Thailand after like floating in 30 degree seas, I got back <laughs> in the water here. And I said to myself, I'm going to stay open water until... Christmas and I'm not okay. going to a swimming pool once and I am going to get the ice mile this year and I became obsessed about it 
Um, I had thermometers in the car. I was pulling in at the side of the road, checking water temperatures. I had like a team on standby. I did the most insane amount of training. I didn't miss a day. I was in that water religiously. People were out like walking their dogs and hats and scarves, just going, you are not wise. What are you doing? And I was in just committed and daily. And then in the end of November, we had like a cold spell. We had a week where it got really cold and the temperature dropped to 3.9 degrees, which is not ideal. You'd actually rather closer to five. I know you think like what's one degree, but one degree when you're yeah. in water for that long is agony. It means something. But I just said, right, now or never. So that was it. We got the team together and I went for it and I got it. I'm delighted to say 33 minutes of pure suffering. But got the ice mile and um, yeah, so I, I was like just well really buzzing about it and um, and so what, I get, what, then, what 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 was the what was the fallout from that? Did you have hypothermia or uh, oh yeah, well I mean hypothermia is a given. Yeah, yeah, hypothermia is a given. Recovery this year was so different. There's no comparison. Um, okay. I was really mentally in a different place. Um, my feet and hands and everything turned black again. But this time I, I knew that they weren't going to like fall off. <laughs> and, yeah, okay. and I knew to expect um, the really horrendous shaking. And I had a better understanding of how your body copes. So essentially what happens is like your core body temperature drops so low that your blood comes away from all your limbs to protect your vital organs. And mm -hmm. so when your heart starts to repump that blood before it's completely rewarmed, you get this really agonizing pain. It's kind of like shutting your hand in the car door. That's the only way to describe it. When the blood goes back, it's like all the nerve endings react and stuff. Okay. It's not pleasant. There's no yeah, way, there's no sense. pretty picture around the ice pile. It's yeah. not pleasant, but yeah, I knew what to expect. And so I think because I knew what to expect, I was in a much better place mentally. And, okay. um, and yeah, and then I did give myself, I can't lie. I then said, I gave myself the entire month of December. I didn't get back in the water until um, Christmas Eve. I got back in on Christmas Eve and did a race in Carlingford um, okay. down there well, Christmas Eve. But what was that? Yeah. Like, uh, it was only like, a, it's a small one, peer to peer. It's probably 500 meters or something. But okay. I mean, it's cold, obviously, but it, it's only a little sprint distance. But I needed a break after, um, I needed yeah. a break after consistent hypothermia for about a year. <laughs> so so yeah. is that, is, am I right in saying there's only about, was it 300 and something in the world, did you say? 300 and... Yeah, so uh, for the International Ice Swim Association, which is the only place that you can register an ice mile, um, yeah. I am number 329. Now I think there's been, there's definitely been probably 10 cents since me, maybe a few more um that's internationally so it'd be all over the world um so there was there wow. was a few that have been registered here there was the first ever two in Loch Ness a couple weeks ago and they were the two guys that were on my relay team they got theirs oh, like about two okay. weeks ago yep okay. um and um there was a few more locally as well um and then the rest would be sort of anywhere they could be you know, anywhere in the world, really. Um, there was the International Ice Swim um, Championships over in Vermont, and um, they were, and then there's ice swimming in Canada and stuff. So there will have been some more registered since, but yeah, um, number three, so 29. So I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. What a feat. Absolutely amazing. 
So is that you sort of addicted to uh, swimming then? Or he No, well, it's funny. Like, yeah, I love the swimming. I just wish the temperature would improve a bit. I don't want to go back to the ice swimming necessarily. <laughs> but enough, yeah. It's funny. So from, from that happened and then from doing the ice mile, um, a woman got in touch with me. So one of my upcoming events now is um, a three-woman relay to swim the length of Loch Ness. So um, the plan is 10 kilometers each. So that's a beast of a swim. Um, uh-huh. So six miles each swimming. Um, again, no wetsuits or anything. Um, we are set to do it this July, but coronavirus could be putting a, a damper oh, yeah, on, yeah. on all events. Um, obviously, all the pools are closed. So we're not able to train at the minute. And in terms of training, I, I do still use the lake, but you can't get the distance right now because because of hypothermia so yeah. we'll see fingers crossed if not what, july in, maybe we'll push in it july and no so it's you see for most of the big crossing things you pick a week and then it comes down to weather so okay. we'll All have right, a pilot right. we have a boat and we'll have a pilot we'll have a support crew and then what you do is we we're hoping for the last week in july and then it depends on weather and if it's open sea it's obviously tidal as well but for the lock it's just mostly down to weather um, okay. And then closer to the time, we'll pick a day, uh, just depending on the weather. Okay, yeah, unbelievable. Well, hopefully that <laughs> actually goes ahead. Maybe I'll get up and cheer you on. That's brilliant. Um, I know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I don't know. Uh, we've got to meet the pilot to find out. I don't know if there have been um, other, I know there have been other relays of the lock. I don't know if there's ever yeah. been another team of three women. I don't know what the kind of setup is. So it'd be interesting to get the history and yeah. see, you know, what kind of, and also look at times and see about records and, and that kind of stuff. So I am, I'm definitely in more in now on the longer stuff and I like the long distance. And then I've also um, registered with um, a few girls, friends of mine for next May. So May 21 okay. for, it's going to be the last marathon for me. I'm not going to do any more after this because of the knees, but um, I figured if I had one marathon left, I was going to go for a beast of a marathon. Right. <laughs> and this one definitely is, it's the Uganda uh, marathon. So it's a trail race. Um, It's sort of clay dirt road race um, through the jungle and the villages in Uganda. Wow. So So is is it marathon distance, 26 miles? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 26 miles. No, no, it's not an ultra. Uh, Yeah, so it's like, um, it's actually a charitable marathon. So it's an interesting concept and you're there for about a week. So you go over... Um, you volunteer for the first three to four days as part of the marathon package and mm-hmm. you volunteer in the villages where you'll then be running Brilliant. and um, all the money that you pay into the race and that goes back into the local community. So it's, it's a, a very rural section of Uganda, which is extremely impoverished. Yeah. And it just means then that your money is supporting the local people. And it gives you a couple of days to acclimatize, to see a part of the world you'd never get to see. And then when you're running the marathon, like what better way to run it than with these kids coming out to support you that you've been working with. And but you know, so it looks so amazing. Who, yeah. who's, that, who's that with? Who, who organizes that? Um, Uganda Marathon is its own charity um and so if you google even uganda marathon it comes up my friend um robbie marsh he actually has a podcast called the inspirational runner okay he did it um and he absolutely loved it so it sounds like it's really worthwhile yeah very worthwhile 
Yeah. yeah. Now it's not like a personal best marathon. You go out there. It's not about finishing times. Nobody cares. Yeah, about no, that. fair enough. Yeah. It's it's something nice, and you feel like, especially for me, if it's definitely my last one, which I think it is, um, then I feel like, yeah, what 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 a better way to do it than there? And kind of going back on myself, then I was in Africa, as I said, last in 2018, mm-hmm. at the end of 2018, okay, with my 11 year old son. Yeah, just even, yeah, talk about that. Yeah. And I, I just loved Africa. I mean, I've been to Africa before. I have actually volunteered and worked over in South Africa many years ago and i love africa and i just think like it's an amazing place um to visit there's so much you took your 11 year old there and decided to climb Kilimanjaro. (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean i knew so i guess for us um me and and the kids and um their dad like we're super sporty i mean sport is huge part of our lives um (laughs) So yeah, that my kid's dad's climbed Everest, um, and he he's summited climbed and Everest. He, yes, he summited Everest in okay. two thousand and three, and he was leader of the Irish K two expedition, and he's climbed all over the world. Um, you know, some of the hardest setting routes and different things, and mm-hmm. um, so you know, he's done amazing, amazing things. Um, mm-hmm. And the kids have grown up like that then. So both their parents are big into the outdoors, and they've kind of grown up with this like weird we take we don't ever do normal trips we would sort of like when the kids were babies we backpack through borneo we stayed in wow. villages we do like homestays and they've like cycled through vietnam and you know so you basically, you basically cycled- did what i talked about then <laughs> <I didn't do. laughs> well it's a little it hasn't always been plain sailing either i'll tell you but yeah we've done some pretty cool i mean they've been through india and we did like cycled in malaysia and they've oh, done all these right. we went through belize and mexico with them and they like we couldn't even wow. name they've done village homestays in thailand where we've gone trekking and all of this from they they were babies like literally and actually you know up, no running it? water no electricity jungles staying in tree houses or staying in villages eating with the locals we just kind of tried to make it like a normal holiday that that's what we do it's a bit different to other people so i guess for the 11 year old it wasn't that weird for your mother to like rock in and say do you want to climb kilimanjaro (laughs) (laughs) and he was like (laughs) right yeah (laughs) but i mean i said to him you know look you're gonna have to train and i mean really train Mm-hmm. and so he was only um 10 at the time when I said it to him and I said like you know this is going to be a big commitment you're going to have to run at least a 5k every kind of day with me you're going to have we're going to have to do a mountain a week we're going to have to get out there we're going to have to do Ben Nevis and we're going to have to you know put some serious training effort in for a kid your age and because you'll be the youngest kid from here to ever do it so he took that on and he understood and you know rain or shine you know, people were driving past us, like shouting at the window at him locally going, I'll give you the number for child line. <laughs> because he was like, you know, running a 5k in the rain with me. Childish, and, yeah. yeah, carrying a backpack. And, but he, in fairness to him, he took it on and he committed and he did it. And, um, and he made the Excellent. summit. So yeah. yeah, it was, it was awesome. And, and what, it must've been some, uh, it must've been like, like a great experience actually doing that with your son though. You know, getting oh yeah, and yeah. No matter there. what, in life happens. You know, he understands. Like I wanted him to, I wanted like him to understand his own capabilities, and I think that's yeah. such a big thing for me. Is like, 
you can tell someone till they're blue in the face how capable they are, but like mm -hmm. they have to understand themselves. And I think nothing could prepare a child. He's quite small and he has, you know, kind of medical issues as well um, mm -hmm. for the impact of altitude sickness. Like, and because I've been at altitude on expeditions, I knew that this was going to happen. I knew it was a possibility, you know, altitude, which is why a lot of professional athletes use altitude to train because when you're training at altitude or when you're moving at altitude, it's like you are moving in sand or in yeah. sludge. Like your body is so slow. Everything takes twice the human effort. And like, I knew that was going to happen, but you, you can't describe that to a person. So he had to yeah. see it and feel it himself. And like he flew up the mountain and then on the last stage, which was the final push to the summit. So the last sort of 14 hours, because we mm -hmm. were there for a week he he really suffered and i said to him look you know you have nothing to prove here i've failed at many a thing in my life it's not yeah. i've you know there's no shame in quitting yeah. you've done amazing you've done better than any other kid your age but he was like insane just dug so deep and was like nah i'm i'm here i'm going for the summit <laughs> that was that's it excellent. so yeah warrior yeah and uh okay that's 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 unbelievable do, do you think that has sparked something well i suppose he's been around it all of his life but has it sparked something in him where he's gonna go yeah i'm gonna try more sort of intensive challenges or are you sort of going yeah. well he was funny when he came home he told everybody when he first came home that he was retired um <laughs> at age 11 it. he was like kicking back in a bathroom with this playstation for the next year but um, he's always, from he was a little kid, been obsessed with Navy SEALs, with American Navy SEALs, and he wants to be a Navy SEAL. And wow. he said that from he was like no age. Um, my dad was in the military. Um, I have cousins and family in the military. So he's just had this fascination. And I really genuinely believe he'll end up in the Navy SEALs. Uh, if not Navy SEALs, certainly in military, because he loves it. He loves that kind of training and fitness. Wow. So at the minute, like while everybody else is homeschooling, you know, we did a seven mile cycle this morning and then we're going to run a 5k. And then later, um, he, he, he's going to get in the lake. He likes to get in and just see how long he can stay in the freezing water. So there is that it's in the family. It's oh my goodness. <laughs> just out of curiosity, do you, do you ever, um, listen to the Spartan Up podcast, Joe DeSena? I haven't ever. No, no, it's very, very, uh, I mean, you would actually be you should be a guest on the Spartan Up podcast. So I might actually send him a message on, on LinkedIn and just explain who you are. But um, yeah, so like he he interviews a lot of people talking about uh, cold water submersion and the benefits around it. And uh, luckily I live in a city and there's nowhere cold around me. So I don't Oh, no, no, I can find you somewhere, Adam. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I think I'll definitely have I can have find you somewhere. Do you know, there is, I will say this, right? There is one million percent a buzz from yep. short... Um, immersion so like mm -hmm. if you and in fact my younger son is a, a fantastic swimmer so the nine-year-old loves swimming and mm -hmm. is definitely he's looking like next year maybe linking in on one of those kind of crazy doing a leg of a relay with me um you know jumping in maybe i don't know not not probably not lock may he's not quite there yet but like yeah. he would love he would love to get a leg of the channel done or something um and I guess because we know people who kind of do this kind of stuff, we're, we're fortunate that way that he probably will get to do something like that. But he loves the cold water. And like, 
it, there is a thing, you know, just something happens chemically inside your body when you get in the cold. You do get this amazing burst of energy afterwards. Yes. And I have friends who think I'm completely insane, but they, I do have friends that I've been able to like sell the idea on and they've tried it and they definitely see it and feel it. So just for anyone like interested, you don't have to take on swimming miles in it. Just even getting yourself um, safely, obviously, in a group, um, in a place that you know is safe. And there are groups all over the place, you know, um, in Donegadee, in Loch Ness, in Carlingford, in Camla, mm -hmm. all these different groups exist. And people get in every single day, no matter what the weather is. Yeah. I yeah. just, I, I did a, a couple of years ago, I did the Port of Ferry um, triathlon. And oh, cool. I, I had never done any sort of open water swimming before ever. So there's a place in Carried Off here called Let's Go Hydro. You, you remember you've probably oh, seen yeah, it, yeah, it? Oh, yeah, yeah, I know it, yep. So that's the only place where I went to treat. Now, again, it's wetsuits and, and things like that, but it's quite a good, it's just a lap. I think it's one lap's maybe 750 meters. Um, yes. But it was my first experience, and it was very, yeah, I mean, it, it's quite quite addictive getting into it. There is, and, yeah, and there is something now I have to say. So there's like... <laughs> there's it's a, a sharply divided community of open water people and the wetsuit i was always yeah. <laughs> i you know i i'm a turncoat i was always a wetsuit user i did spanish island a couple of years ago in a wetsuit but when you start training for the channel stuff that you can't use a wetsuit you can't use a wetsuit in the ice swimming or anything so now we're now i'm like on the other side now i'm sort of looking at the wetsuits huh, i use a wetsuit so yeah. out of your challenge now will be to get rid of the wetsuit you're gonna get out there <laughs> okay i'll definitely do it this year promise totally yeah, good, good. all right all right so let's let's move on. so uh, i'm curious the what sort of training do you do obviously endurance is your bag but do you do any sort of training like uh strength training yeah well funny so I suppose, right, my day, every single day of my life, I try and run a 5K, well, six days out of the week or five days out of the week. Um, on my lunch break every day, I try and get, a, you know, 5K in. If not a 5K, I get two-mile run done, whatever. There, I definitely just keep a base level of fitness with that. Um, I would also try and do the rower, try and get on the rower as much as I can. And then, obviously, I'm swimming. So I would train, on average, twice a day, six days out of the week. So because my first training is probably only half an hour or less, you know, just getting a quick run done, mm -hmm. then later in the day, I would get out and I would either do um, a run or another run or swim or whatever. But, um, and at the weekends and stuff, I try and get as much time as I can outside in the mountains. At the minute, like with the kids are off school, so we're doing cycle, probably I'm doing about 13 miles a day, maybe on the bike or whatever, and then trying to get a run or trying to get at least a short swim. The gym to me, I never loved and I never was um, big into the weights and stuff, but I have to say there had definitely has its place mm -hmm. and I've, I've started to take it on more. I'm fortunate because at work I have access to a gym yeah. and like, you know, I guess the analogy for me is like you wouldn't go into a restaurant and order something that you don't like. Yeah. So you, people inherently train to their strengths and th mm -hmm. this is something I massively can be faulted with. I know where my strengths lie. So that's exactly yeah. what I train to. I go out and I either just run indefinitely or swim indefinitely. I don't do sprint training. I don't do any of the kind of short, sharp, shock stuff. And I don't do weights. Okay. So I started doing gym classes about a year ago and uh -huh. I hate it. 
but I know that I need it because it's not what I would order. It's not what I would go in and do. If I walked into a gym, I'd jump on a treadmill or on a rower. I get but the classes force you to challenge your weaknesses and especially circuiting. So the HIT training or Tabata or circuits or whatever, and they can be set up in all different ways. But for me, they've been great because again, it's stuff that I would never naturally gravitate toward. And they're outside my comfort zone and they make me um, do things I wouldn't do. And they've actually changed my body shape. I think like I, I'm a lot, I don't feel like I've got a lot stronger, but I definitely, I think, look more like I've developed upper body, which you don't usually get, obviously, with the long distance running. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that has benefited me for the open water swimming. Because, I mean, the thing yeah. is, open water swimming um, is obviously a strength game. But the, the thing is, as well, there is a lot of, like, there's benefit to being a bit bulkier with that, mm-hmm. um, just even in terms of keeping your body temperature up and stuff. So, yeah, yeah, I I would recommend people um, who maybe don't um, have a fixed training schedule to try and integrate a bit of um, gym classes into their their workout. Just because, as I said, it it makes you train to your weaknesses rather than your strengths. Yeah, but I think your other point there about you do what you enjoy, you know, as a personal trainer, like I obviously harp on about the benefits of strength training for um females males doesn't really matter but you know women tend to, to shy away a wee bit um and i think if you don't enjoy it then you're not going to do it but i think if you can yeah. force yourself to get in and uh you know and, and do circuits if that's if, that, if that's like a halfway house um yeah and you can definitely see benefits but i think yeah the big thing is you have to enjoy it and try and Push yourself oh yeah and like you know like as the weather's improving and we're all in this weird climate of like social distancing and stuff <laughs> yeah. this is like <laughs> it's the weirdest weirdest atmosphere at the minute but this is kind of like prime time you know because look like we have the countryside on our doorstep no matter where you live in this country you you know there's green areas and like yeah. i can't emphasize enough for your mental health like for oh, me yeah. it's great no matter what it is it's stress relief and I find like, no matter what I'm training for, no matter what it is I'm doing, just getting outside, even if I'm only walking, because some days now I walk and mm-hmm. that's okay too. And I think you have to be flexible in your plan. Like I went for a six mile run the other day and I ran two miles and walked four. My knee was sore. And I just thought, look, like I know now that me 15 years ago, I would have continued to run those six miles and probably paid the price for it. Yeah. Me, even five years ago, I would have run the extra four miles and paid the price for it. But now I really listen so much more to my own body and I'm way more in tune with my own body. And I know that I got the same benefit from doing the six mile loop that I would have got mm-hmm. running it. In fact, more by just walking the last four miles because I saved myself from an injury. You know, yeah. I think people need to be flexible, put themselves out there, just get out and be out in fresh air. You know, there's days where I, there's a difference too, I think, between pushing through the pain barrier and being a bit stupid. Obviously, you know, when you're on a hill, it's a bit harder and yeah, you have to push through. That's one thing. But like, if you know you're, you're teetering on the edge of an injury or, you know, you know, you're maybe just feeling a bit unwell, it's also okay to pull back a bit on those days and just walk. And, you know, I, funny, I, in between all of my weird events in the last few years, I also did um, a section of the Camino. I walked 
a section of the Camino with my dad okay. and my brother. And my dad's in his seventies and he was a marathon runner. And like, we used to all race together uh -huh. and now he doesn't do marathons anymore. So we were like, always kind of look for something with him that we could do fitness wise. A few years ago, me and him cycled through Cambodia on bikes and then right we up. picked up the Camino, like, you know, going, okay, dad, this is a bit of a gentle walking, you know, holiday type of thing. And of course my dad had us up at like six o'clock every freaking morning, like military <laughs> style, like everybody Let's else go. leisurely, like walked the Camino. My dad was like plowing power, through the power, Camino, walking. <laughs> power walking the Camino. But it was, even though, you know, I, we were doing maybe whatever 15 20 miles a day on foot i felt it even though mm. you know i could run that normally i felt it because it's a different type of exercise yeah. and it's still valuable and like yeah. you know i can't emphasize that enough especially the mountains i would always supplement training um with mountain days so no matter what event i'm training for even swimming there is no better exercise in my opinion then throwing on a backpack and getting up the mountains because your cardio yeah. fitness—it's—it's it's brilliant. Yeah, like it. I think that that there's—it's probably sad to say, but <clears throat> there was times last year when we did that uh, mountain marathon that there were parts of um, the more mountains that I had never set foot on before, and it's stunning, yeah. you know. And I, I think, as far as I'm concerned, hopefully this all blows over inside, you know, two or three months, whatever. But that is something that we will do. Um, like my my son's five at the minute, you know. So yeah. that is that's what I want him to be able to do is get out into the um into the mountainside as well. Like so. So yeah, and you know what that that yeah, kind of yeah. stuff is on our doorstep. You know, exactly. like it, it you it's don't half have an hour to travel from Belfast. So like yeah, yeah you brilliant. don't have to travel to do it, and and like you couldn't get better training literally with the backpack and thing. And I mean, although my friends think I'm quite odd. I would take the tent and I would just go like, you know, a couple of months back there in the middle of the winter, I just grabbed the tent one Friday night after work and got a girl that I work with. And the two of us, the backpacks went up Donard at night with head torches, pitched a tent just below the summit on along the wall in the saddle, slept up there, got up for dawn, went to summit for dawn and came back down. And it was a great training session, you know, and then didn't have Amazing. to run that day. Like, Brilliant. But that kind of stuff is there and that, that kind of diverse training is so good for you, you know? Yeah. It should be used more often. I think you're, if it's on your, your doorstep. So just, um, what about just a couple of wee ones on nutrition? So what is your typical breakfast for you? Just out of curiosity. Okay, now I'm a letdown. I, I could bluff <laughs> my way through this, but like, if my no, no, be honest. This, he'll call me out. So I'll just be honest. I have one really bad habit aside from alcohol, uh, and that is diet Pepsi, like, or diet Coke. I have just caffeine fix. So I would have coffee and I know, I know nutrition. No, no, like, no, here, no, no, no. I, like I, I, I am a, I'm a big believer in like the Coke zeros and the Pepsi max. Yeah. And that. I'm a big yeah, believer well, that's in it. I mean, like I would time. definitely, I am up early, get moving, have a coffee, have a depth definitely end up having at least a pepsi yeah. i'm like breakfast time i try and have most of my carbs early in the day so right. i and i i take on a lot of carbs because i train so much yeah. so i would usually have like a bagel with peanut butter and then um oatmeal as well for breakfast Lovely. um and then for lunch i eat before i go to the gym sometimes a sandwich or a salad and then i eat again after the gym i try and have like a hot um, meal at lunch after the gym um, soup or salad 
like a hot curry, something like that. And then um, I would snack later in the day before I train again if I'm swimming, um, especially if I'm swimming because the swimming leaves me starving. Yeah. So I would have peanuts, pretzels, um, crackers and cheese, stuff like that. And then, um, and then I would have like a big dinner with the kids. Um, I'm vegetarian. So okay. the kids aren't vegetarian, but they kind of eat whatever I make. Um, they train a lot. They train five nights out of the week because they're both boxers. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they swim competitively and stuff. So nice. when we're, we're, we never kind of sit down to a family meal. I know that wouldn't work for a lot of people, but it's because of our sports schedules. So yeah, no, it makes we're sense, all yeah. kind of, yeah, we just eat when we eat on the go and the kids, it's important for them to eat at least an hour before the boxing training because of, you know, then they're out running and all that kind of stuff. So we just, and then I run while they run and we just kind of, we always kind of make food work for us. And I'm also kind of like a firm believer in balance. Like I don't limit what the kids eat. If they want junk, they have junk, you know, they definitely burn it where it's important to us that we're like kind of normal in that sense that they want ice cream. They go to school, get an ice cream. If they want, it's it's important like at that age, especially to make sure that there's no, uh, we'll say negative thought patterns happen around like certain foods, you know, where they yeah. associate like ice cream with being bad or good or whatever. So I think that's a hundred percent. That's a brilliant way to be like, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, they definitely know. And, and because we are so like fixated around sport, they definitely know that like, look, you know, you, you know, if you've eaten a pile of junk, get out and do something, you know, and yeah. you'll feel better for yourself for doing it. Like if you get out for a run or you're, you know, you're active, and so I think like that side of it has definitely paid off for them. And mm-hmm. they both seem like quite healthy that way. But like all kids, you know, they still default yeah. to a pepperoni pizza or something. But, you know, well, my, it's all about balance. My son's breakfast is uh, two pancakes and Nutella. <laughs> so yeah, Nutella. That's as well as I got to be. So, yeah, look, we're very realistic in this house. And like, I, I don't pretend that we're super nutritious freaks, but we certainly do try and find balance. And obviously, because I am vegetarian, we're probably inherently that little bit more healthy because, you know, we're not eating meat and more we don't, greens, yeah. we don't yeah. have the same, you know, kind of um, processed food and try and eat a lot of fresh food and whatever. So, yeah, brilliant. Okay, good. Um, so you're not on social media, sure you're not? Or, uh, uh, I have Facebook. That's oh, you're Facebook? Okay, <laughs> right, it could, it could. So really, you know, I just wanted to see if people can follow you, like in the crazy shit that Everybody, you might be doing, or like uh, how, My friends are always like, have Lauren, you've got to really, yeah, you got to move with the times. Like, <laughs> I might I might go down the Instagram route one of these days, but yeah, no, so far do. in life, I just have Facebook. Um, and I mean, yes, certainly <laughs> feel free to follow. I don't really post very much, but I will always post in and around the time and event. And um, as I said, fingers crossed the last week in July, we'll have that Loch Ness relay coming, but, um, at times are strange. So we're just going to take it as it comes, um, yeah. with coronavirus and see how we do and, and, and get that going. But Uganda marathon will be a big one and I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, well, there. Uh, I was going to say, you know, I was going to finish up with what um, is coming up, but I mean, there are two, two big ones along with your your daily training routine and stuff. So, I'll just finish with. Obviously, you know, I have a, a son and you've got two. So, what and you've touched on this probably already, but what are the, what's the sort of things that you'd like to sort of pass on to your your kids? Like, what sort of um, I suppose mentality for you is, is, is a big one and they're going to um, benefit from that. But what would you like to 
teach your sons about um, fitness and, and things like that? Yeah, I, I have two things and uh, they are definitely resilience and um, about self-belief, but resilience is huge because I think like for me, it's, I think people are so quick to take something on and then so quick to quit. And I just, I have this belief that, you know, like all within all of us, we have this inherent ability to be resilient. Um, obviously, you know, sometimes the easier option is to just press the button and call it and whatever. But I think it's really important for kids to understand that resilience is something that you build and that a little bit of suffering is actually quite good. And, you know, it's not just in sport, it's in life, you know, because yeah. you're not always going to win. You're not always going to finish. You're not always going to succeed. And I like, and maybe I'm a bit too kind of American about this, but you know, like I know what kids sports days and stuff, this whole notion that everybody gets a medal. Nah, mm. I kind of don't buy into that. I think look mm. like we're not really preparing kids for the real world that way. Like building resilience to me is kids understand you don't always win. You're not always the best yeah. and things don't always come easy. And actually you learn more from your failures than you will ever learn from your successes. Yeah, so like, enough. There's Love been it. plenty of times along the way where, you know, I've fallen and not made it to the finish line or not got what I wanted out of something. But all the information that I got from that, that I gathered and stored has led to success in the future. And that's so important for me, for the kids, like that they pick up. And I suppose they have no choice, bar suffer a little bit with me as their mother. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I don't think that's a bad thing either. No, like, I don't think so either. I, th I think of the silver platter. Okay, there, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, a lot of people say about like even our even our holidays kind of lack the holiday feel. You know, there's no um, unlimited supply of Coca Cola and ice pops. But the kids, like when they're older, I hope look back and think, oh my God, like you know, we backpacked through Borneo or like you know, slept in a hill tribe village in Thailand. And that, like, these those are those memories, I I think, you know, that is the type of thing that life um, should be and resilience is yeah. such, a, such a great answer to that question. And, and not always get what you there? want. Even, what to say that again? Is there, do you say there's a second point? Oh yeah. Just the positivity thing. Like you have to believe it's all self-belief and like, doesn't matter what anybody tells you is possible. You know, within yourself and your own heart and soul that you are capable of anything. And that's, that's the key to this whole big puzzle is, Go out there, just believe in, and don't let anybody else put you down. Just go out there, believe yourself. And, you know, you might not ever be the best, but, you know, we're all capable of finishing and just follow those dreams forward and, and try and keep, you know, that mentality throughout. And I think, like, if the kids can do that, it doesn't really matter to me what they do in their lives. As long as they have those kind of things going for them, I think they'll do well, you know. Yeah, amazing. Oh, yeah, unbelievable. Okay, um, Lauren, I want to really thank you for coming on and, and um, having a chat. Like, I probably could have talked for a couple of hours more there, but um, yeah, outstanding. Um, well, thank you for having me. No, I appreciate it very much. Okay, brilliant. I'll uh, be following your upcoming events and uh, keeping everybody informed anyway, but thanks for coming on, Lauren. Absolutely. Thanks, Adam. I'll be in touch. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.